started. If you're not in here, too bad. Ted, get in here. Okay. Oh, he's being gentlemanly. Is that what you call it? It's shocking, I know, but... Yes. And now Okay. Good morning. Welcome to Sunday School. So we're finally off 2 Samuel 22, and we're on to 2 Samuel 23. Uh, 2 Samuel 23 is kind of a two-part chapter. Uh, it starts out with uh, something that the writer of 2 Samuel identifies as David's last words. There's actually 2 Samuel 24, and there's also David shows up in the beginning of 1 Kings. So it's not really his last words, but... Uh, kind of his last official words as uh, is maybe his official address type of last words. Uh, so we're going to look at that. And then there's a second part where it, uh, if you like military type stuff, uh, you'll enjoy the second part, I think. So uh, we're going to look at that this morning and then we'll have sit. This week will be 2 Samuel 23. Next week we'll do 2 Samuel 24. Uh, and then we'll have a review week. And then after that, we'll see where we're going because I'm not exactly sure where we'll be after that. So um, we've got a couple more weeks in 2 Samuel. And then we'll go on from there. So let's go ahead and we'll pray. We'll get started. And then uh, we'll get you home. So Josiah, would you open us up in prayer, please? Okay, 2 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 4. Miriam, go ahead. So David gives the characteristics, I call this, of the righteous king. I'm going to call this the righteous king, not because it uses the term righteous king in the passage, but I think this is what it's describing, as we'll see as we go through this whole section here. Um, so David's, David's going to be describing a, a righteous king, a just king, a good king, uh, you could put in any of these terms in here. Uh, so David's first guy identify himself as a speaker here. These are the last words of David. Again, the last address of David. This isn't the last thing he said. Um, that it's not the last word he said, but his last official address, maybe. Um, 
and he identifies himself. He identifies himself, of course, as the son of Jesse. I didn't put that in your notes, but we know who David is, the son of Jesse. But he identifies himself as the man raised on high. Um, remember David's upbringing. He was the lowly shepherd, the eighth son of Jesse. He was the one who, at his anointing, wasn't even invited to the party. Remember, they had the sacrifice, and the seven sons of Jesse were invited. David was still out looking after the sheep. He didn't even get the invite. He wasn't even important enough to even come to the party, and they had to go get him because uh, Samuel was like, well, do you have any more sons? And Jesse's like, well, there's the eighth one. He's off tending the sheep. He's not really important enough to be here. And so he didn't even get invited to his own anointing. Um, So he was raised up from that lowly state to be the king, the leader of all of Israel. And he's identifying himself as that. He's anointed by the, of the God of Jacob. Not only was he anointed by Samuel, but he was anointed of God. God picked him out, set him apart, anointed him, appointed him to be the God or to be the king over all of Israel. God did that. And he understands that this is God's choosing of him to be this place. And he also describes himself as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And we understand that uh, David is... Uh, the primary psalmist of Israel, the songwriter of Israel. Um, and so he's identifying himself as the writer of this. And so we know that this is from David. And this is kind of a prophetic section of what David is writing here in uh, this, these next uh, several verses here. Um, and so David is now going to identify the source of his revelation uh, and he identifies the source as the Spirit of the Lord. And the Spirit of the Lord is going to speak by him. And as you look at Revelation, and you say oh, how Revelation works, we know that holy men of God were moved by the Spirit. And we see that David is basically saying that. He's saying the Spirit of the Lord is speaking by me. He's consistent with how the Bible describes Revelation of God. Um, that God worked through men using them to write scripture. So David is identifying this, that God is giving him this revelation and is working through him to bring about this revelation. And he also says that God's word, God's word, God's message was on his tongue. And so uh, he's going to be speaking what God wants him to speak here. This is not from David. This is not David's idea. This is God's idea that he's bringing forth here. And so he's making it very clear where this is coming from now. David is giving us a message that's from God. He's giving us a prophetic message here about a righteous king, a holy king, a godly king, a good king. And so David identifies the righteous king. And he says, first of all, that this king, and he says, it's the God of ages, the rock of Israel spoke to me. And he says, this is what he said, that he he who rules over men must be just. He must make just decisions. He must make the right decisions. He must be a just king. And we're going to see that David, David's going to think through this and think about his kingship. He's going to think about how future kings are going to be. And he's going to see if he measures up to this because has David always been a just king? Has he always made the right decision? And the answer is no, he has not always made just decisions. But he's saying that if a righteous king must be a just king, he must make right decisions. He must make good decisions. Um, He must rule in the fear of God. Um, What do we know about the fear of God? Tell me what you know about the fear of God. It's the beginning of wisdom. 
beginning of knowledge. Those are two things that we know probably from Proverbs and other places, right? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge. And so if you're going to be a knowledgeable king, if you're going to be a wise king, you need to start with the fear of God, right? And, and what, what, what is the fear of God? How would you describe the fear of God? That is a very complicated question. But if it's the beginning of wisdom, I think we need to know. How would you describe it, Nathan? Let me get a different color here. I think that's a good start. Proper understanding of who he is, what he's done. That's a good place to start and know who God is. What else about the fear of God? Uh, knowing that he has the plan for all of us. Okay. Can I change that to knowing his will for us? Does that work? And I think implied once you know it, then doing it, right? That's just, I know what God's will is, but I'm going to do my own thing. Obviously, knowing and then understanding, you got to do it. What else about the fear of God? Yeah, that, that works with that. What was the last thing you said? It has closer understanding of who I am in relationship. Good having humility before him. Dory. Crank it down one notch. Uh, let's see. I could if I knew where the road was. Um, maybe this is... Did that go down at all? I think that's the low fan speed right there. So I, I think that's the lowest notch it goes. I'll try to speak loud as I can. Any other thoughts on the fear of God? I think two ways people try to describe it. One, 
is there's an awe or reverence, right? Have I spelled reverence, right? I don't have I spelled checker. There's an awe of reverence, so there's that. But I think there's also truly a fear in the fact of fear. It's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living God. The Bible tells us that. There's, there's, there's a fear of consequences. There's a fear of judgment. That's a real thing with God. I think you can have that fear that if I do it's wrong, there are consequences to that because God is, or is, a, is a just God. He's going to do what's right. So I, I think all those things, I think this is a good list to start with. And like you said, it's a complicated thing. We could go on for probably the whole Sunday school class to talk about the fear of God. So I'm not trying to give a, a full theological treatise on this. But the fear of God, he must rule in the fear of God. So a ruler who knows these things, has a proper understanding of who God is, who knows what God's will is for him as a ruler, who has humility, who knows who he is in respect of God, who recognizes God's judgment, that God, justice, that God's going to do what's right, who has no awe of reverence for God, who has a fear that if he does what's wrong, that God's going to, for instance, let's say David's case, that David had a fear, that real fear of God, that, hey, if I do this with Bathsheba, there's going to be consequences. Maybe that keeps him from doing what he does with Bathsheba, right? That makes him do wise things. So there's a fear of God. Um, where are we? Uh, he should, then it goes on to give some poetic things here. He shall be like the light of the morning. He shall be like the light of the morning. What does that mean? Um, one commentator has put it this way. He will be as helpful as the rays of the sun. Well, are the rays of the sun helpful? Oh, in a lot of ways, right? They bring warmth. Um, they help certain things like plants grow. Do we want plants to grow? I certainly do. That helps our food sources. What's that? It, oh, it helps you to see. That's a good point, yeah. It, it, they have, we have lights now, but yeah, back then they didn't have as good of lights, so um, the sun was very helpful for that. Um, sunlight actually helps our weather systems. Uh, if you don't have the sun, you don't have weather going on. There's, there's all kinds of things. I'm, I don't know everything I probably need to know about the sun, and I'm a scientist of some sort, so... The sun is extremely helpful, and, and God is saying that a righteous king is like the rays of the sun, and how helpful it is. Um, also, God says that he shall be like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after the rain. And I'm like, what does that mean? And then another commentator said, after the life-giving showers, how the grass springs up. And um, we've been dry for a few days now. My grass is starting to get brown and withering and not grow as much. But when we had all that rain, remember, in May and stuff, my grass was growing like crazy. I was, like, cutting all the time. And that's what the king's like, is, like, the, the rain on the grass, and the grass is just growing and growing and growing. And that's what the, the righteous king is like, is that people are just growing, and they're, they're full of life, and they're, they're just in abundance and just, just very healthy. And that's what a righteous king is like, is that everything around it is, is just flourishing, and that's what David is trying to, to point out here as he speaks God's words, is that when you have a righteous king that's doing the right thing, that has the fear of God, that's ruling justly, that everything around it is just growing and doing what's good and what's right, and, and, and things are working the way they're supposed to be working. 
And so David is getting this point across here that this is the righteous king. And so now David turns us back on himself, verses 5 through 7. Who wants to read next? Gabriel, go ahead. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, um, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make it increase? But the sons of rebellion shall be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of the spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. So David sees the future fulfillment of God's promise. So I got the wrong color. I'm weird that way. I like the right colors here. And this is what's really neat. Although God's speaking through David, I think David, he gets a little introspective here. He looks at his own house and he says, although my house is not so with God. So he's looking at this righteous king and says, you know what? God's telling me about this righteous king and I look at myself and say, this is not me. And, and David's very open and honest about this, which is, which is good. Again, David, man after God's own heart, he can, he can do this honestly and he can come forward and admit, you know, this isn't me, God. I'm not this way. I have not been the righteous, just king. I have not made just judgments all the time. I have not operated fully under the fear of God. I have not always done what's right. And he openly comes on and says that. And my house has not been this way. And I, I think he, he kind of looks forward and says, you know what, my, my kids are not going to be this way. Absalom wasn't this way. Uh, little Solomon, who's growing up, is probably not going to be this way. And I know that many of my descendants are not going to be this way. But I know one thing. God's made a covenant with me. And he's promised me that there is going to be someone down the line that's going to be this way. And he remembers this covenant that God has made with him. And God has ordered all things. that he's gonna, He has ordered this covenant that this is going to happen. God's going to provide a righteous king, a just king, a king that honors and fears God in my house. And it's secure. David knows it's going to happen. Why? Because God has promised it. He knows God's faithfulness. He knows that God keeps his promises. He knows that what God says is going to happen. And so God's ordered it. It's secure. It's going to happen. And for this is all my salvation. Now, it's an interesting way to put this, right? It's all my salvation that David is putting his trust in what God has said. And you think about this and you think, this is kind of weird. Why, why does David put it this way? Well, think about this. How did Abraham earn his righteousness? What did he do? He believed God. But what did he believe God for? He believed on Jesus Christ for his sins, right? No. Yeah, he believed that God would give him descendants. That's, that's what it says. When Abraham believed, God said, I'm going to make your, you like, your descendants like the stars of the skies and the sands of the sea. 
And Abraham believed that and was accounted him for righteousness. That's what he believed on. So what did David believe on? David believes on the promise that God gave him of the future descendant, the Messiah, that would come from his house. And because David believed God, it's accounted to him for righteousness. It's all his salvation. Remember, this is from God. This is what God told him. This is God's words. So interesting here. It's also David's desire. David, David wants this to happen. David's like, I'm, I, even though I may not live to see this, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to your Messiah coming, God. Does he understand that Messiah is going to die on the cross for his sins? I don't know that David understands all that. I don't know that God explained that to him. But he's looking forward to God fulfilling his promise because he believes God. And he's like, I, I can't wait for God to do that. That's my desire. And he asks the question, will he not make an increase? So of course, that's a rhetorical question. Of course God's going to make an increase. God's going to do that, and David believes God's going to do so much more with that. And, of course, God is going to do so much more with that because it's not only going to be the king that reigns over David's house, it's the, the Lamb of God who's going to save the world from their sins and who's going to bring the Gentiles in and is going to bring this new body of the church and, and it's going to be a spectacular thing that God's doing that's even more than David can imagine, even more than David knows. And God is going to make an increase of it. So, interesting that through God, or David brings up this prophecy that he probably doesn't even understand everything he's saying here, but it, there's so much truth in it that, that he doesn't even see at this point. And then the third part of this is that he sees the judgment of the sons of rebellion. And here the word rebellion is this word belial. This was used, if you remember, way back to our beginning teaching. Um, I think even in 1 Samuel, there, this word got used a lot, the sons of rebellion, um, belial, worthlessness. These are sons of worthlessness. Um, they are as thorns thrust away. They cannot be taken with hands. They're, they're wicked. They're evil. Um, the man who touches them must be armed. It says the man who touches them must be armed with iron and a shaft of a spear. And then their end is that they will be utterly burned with fire. So they're, they're, they're going to face judgment. The people who are worthless, the people who rebel against this, who rebel against Messiah, they're going to be judged. And that's part of this uh, promise here. It's interesting with uh, the sermon this morning how Paul brings up the judgment in his uh, message to the Athenians. Is I saying that right? Um, people of I'm drawing a blank. I can't say Greece, Athens. Yeah, people of Athens. Thank you. I don't want to draw a blank here, but he brings up the judgment in that. And here, here, there's the message of judgment here that there's going to be people who are going to be judged because of their worthlessness, because of their rebellion against the Messiah, and that they're going to be and I think I think the fire is figurative here, but we know that there's going to be a lake of fire judgment in the end for those who are uh, reject the, the Messiah and reject the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so David brings that up in his message and his prophecy here that those who reject the righteous king will be judged, they'll be thrust away, and they'll be, they'll be burned with fire in their place. And so that's David's prophecy here. The righteous king who will come who will come from David's line, and even though his house right now does not reflect that, that God has made that promise that he's going to bring 
the, the seed of David, the Messiah, to, to be that righteous king. And so David remembers that and gives that prophecy. And this is his last official message that he gives, the last thing that he says to the people officially, uh, that he brings up this righteous king that he's coming. Look forward to him. Look for him. He's going to come, and you need to honor him and follow him. So I'm going to stop there for a second. Any thoughts or questions? Because we're going to change gears here for the rest of the chapter. Yes.